It's time to take the ice with the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders and say, that's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast. Now here's your host, Matt Trust. Welcome back to another edition of the That's Hockey podcast. It is presented by Trust PR, and I'm pleased to be joined by, so how do I introduce this guy? So he's a former NHL defenseman, uh, American Hockey League Hall of Famer, uh, member of the Hershey Bears front office. Am, am I getting all this correct? So far, so good? Very good, sir. You we, are. You're doing a good job, have buddy. An office, Keep it up. Yep, <laughs> an office right across the hall from each other, occasional tea time. Brian Helmer, it's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me on, Trusty. I really appreciate this. No, it's been, uh, I feel like, way too long. I feel like your hair is significantly longer since the last time I saw you uh, on the fourth floor. So is this just part of the, the quarantine life? You just let the, the flow go? Are you trying to prove a point to your son, Kate, that, you know, dad still has it? He still has all the feathers? Exactly. It's, uh, it's getting scary because I, I feel like I'm starting to lose it more with, uh, be, with it being longer. But um, I know when I started growing it, uh, I couldn't get, obviously with the quarantine, you can't get out to a barbershop or anything like that. And it started getting longer. And actually, Rylan was the one that said that I looked pretty good with it. So uh, I think I might keep it for a bit. But uh, like I said, it's, I get out of the shower and, and uh, I take that towel and start drying it off. And it seems like it's falling out quicker than it uh, did when I was uh, shorter. So we'll see how long this is going to last, Rusty. Oh, well. I think it looks great. I think it should carry over into hockey season. So I, I think we need Helmer in the suite with a longer flow there. So. I do like it. Uh, you know, obviously it's a lot better when you have a hat on because you can't see the top of it, which is getting a little thin. But, um, but I also like uh, telling Kay that I can grow hair like he can. So it's a good thing too. Awesome. Well, yeah. there's so much that I want to get to. And, you know, I, I think with you, Knowing you as a family man uh, in itself, in addition to uh, your your playing career, uh, why don't we start with that aspect? Because one of the best parts about getting to know you the past few years is just uh, the role you play with uh, just the the very tight knit family you have. I uh, want to give a shout out to you, your wife Pam, your kids uh, Ryland and Cade. Cade, very exciting news for him recently getting drafted uh, for a North American. Uh, league team in uh johnstown pa so uh are you a still a pretty proud dad right now with everything that's uh unfolding and watching his uh career begin to progress i am trusty you know it's he had a heck of a summer this summer he uh got a chance to go to dubuque iowa and the ushl and, and try out there and uh shout out to uh zach fish for that one because zach obviously started there and, and reached out to a few friends. So um, he went there and he did really well and um, had seven points in six games and actually put himself on the map there with, with their management. And, um, you know, at one point I thought maybe he had a chance to make the team, but obviously that didn't work out. And, uh, and then on the way up to, to Dubuque, um, we were in the car and we actually had a, a trailer on behind the truck. Uh, it was a 27-foot trailer. So we decided to do uh, to camp. 
And uh, on the way up, we were just on the other side of Chicago uh, when he, we were listening to the NHL uh, draft and the uh, they, they fifth round came around and Johnstown announced that Kate Helmer was, uh, was their pick. And I remember it was, uh, it almost gave me goosebumps and we were all yelling and screaming. And, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> I think the trailer was swaying a little too much there. So I had to get control of the truck and the trailer, but uh, it was a pretty proud, uh, proud day for us, obviously. Um, with him getting drafted you know after after he, he talked to the coach and he got off the phone he's like hey dad that's something that you never had done to you so he's one up me there but uh, and then uh, obviously uh, that was a big day and then after the debut um, tryout he went down right away to uh, Johnstown and had uh, main camp there so it was a lot of hockey and a lot of days but uh, he enjoyed it we enjoyed the time with uh, family time and camping too that was a lot of fun. So was that something the uh, North American Hockey League draft that you were all anticipating that there was a shot that he was going to get picked up or was it still a, a relative surprise when you found out the name was called? No, it, it, we actually knew they, they, uh, they reached out to Cade and the coach did and, and said that they were going to draft him. We, we, didn't, we weren't sure what round. So we were kind of sitting on pins and needles throughout the whole draft up to that fifth round. So, um, but uh, they called him uh, just before he actually got drafted and said, we're going to pick you in this round. So we kind of had a heads up that he was going to get drafted. But again, it was, it was exciting for all of us and, uh, you know, a very proud moment for, for me and for his mom too. And for those who might not be all that familiar, so North American Hockey League, uh, it's tier two junior uh, in the U.S. Uh, below the United States Hockey League. So what does that do for uh, college eligibility? Uh, where, where does he stand with that? Yeah, so he uh, his goal is to try to get a Division I uh, scholarship. Um, I think last year, him playing back home in Smith Falls, you know, I don't think the, uh, the college uh, uh, scouts and, and coaches and that sort of thing uh, um, are there as much. Um, I think the NHL has, uh, is, more, is scouted heavily. Um, you know, I think last year, if I'm not, uh, I don't know if my numbers are, are correct, but they're pretty close. I think 145 kids got uh, D1 commit. So, um, so he's very excited for this this upcoming year. He, you know, he has he's actually going to uh, training camp here uh, starting on Saturday. I think they start Monday. So uh, he's very excited. A little nervous. Obviously, it's going to be new for him. And and uh, but. Um, you know, he's looking forward to the challenge and he just, he's got his, he's focused and he wants that, uh, wants that division one scholarship. The, the quality of the hockey too, where does that compare with uh, where, when he was playing up in Canada last season uh, with uh, Smith Falls? It, it's comparable. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think the, the NHL is uh, maybe a, a step up. Um, but he's, again, he was playing against uh, anywhere from 16 year olds to 20 year olds. Um, so it, it's junior hockey. It's, uh, you know, so it, it's actually a pretty good league up there too. But, um, like I said before, it's just, it seems like, uh, there's more schools that, that go to these games, uh, in the null than they do uh, in the CCHL back home. And I know there were many occasions, uh, too, in the past where, uh, you know, you leave the office in the early afternoon, you hop in the car, you drive how many hours up north and say, hey, Kate has a game, I have to be there. I know it has to be a thrill for you and the family where Johnstown, PA, you don't even have to leave the state. And not only that, but it, it's a pretty historic hockey scene when you talk about the filming of Slapshot, that arena, it won Hockeyville a few years ago. It has to be really exciting, not only to, to get that break, but 
with where it's at too has to be pretty fun. Yeah, we were pretty excited. I mean, uh, I know one of the gentlemen that uh, where Kate's going to stay is uh, um, Story Snyder, and uh, he was actually really good friends with um, with the with the head coach. And Kate actually played with his son last year with uh, in a tournament in Boston, and sort of got to know Kate a little bit. And uh, he was the one that actually so shout out to him to get Kate to Johnstown. Um, but uh, again, you know, it, it's uh, we went there for for main camp and. Pam and I actually walked around the, the, the city and if you call it a city, but um, just, you are, you're right. You know, just seeing that uh, the slap shot movie and you're trying to pick out different spots in the city where maybe they filmed it. And, um, but also being in the rank is pretty neat too. And they did a good job uh, with the upgrades, but they still, there's still that uh, historic uh, uh, spots in the arena where, where maybe the movie was uh, shot or um, the posters up on the wall and the pictures of the handsome brothers and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty neat that, uh, that he's uh, going to that, and getting that opportunity there and that with that team but also uh, like you said Tressie being two and a half hours away is a lot better than seven and a half hours so uh, we're pretty happy there too so with uh with dad being uh, an American Hockey League Hall of Famer spent some time in the National Hockey League playing on the blue line uh when did you start to to get that sense that uh your son was going to try to make a bid and uh, follow the footsteps and just pursue a career where maybe he's able to go pro. Well, Kane, he, he always loved the game, Trusty. He was, you know, I remember bringing him to the rink and when I was in Grand Rapids and he was four years old. I used to bring him uh, every second day because he had preschool the other days. And, um, you know, he would, he started out on the ice just walking. And, and by the time uh, about halfway through the season or three quarters through the season, he was starting to stride out and skating and just watching the guys. I put him on the ice uh, as soon as I got to the rink and I told him as soon as the coaches touch the ice, you get off and get on the bench and watch us practice. And, you know, the things that he picked up at that age, you know, all of a sudden he had to have two sticks and he was stretching like the guys do at the start of practice. And so it was pretty neat that way. And, um, and Greg Ireland was the head coach there. And he, he told me to, you know, let Kate come in. And if we have meetings, he can sit in your lap. And so he, he was in on meetings, watching videos and, um, just he was almost like the mascot of the team and guys really liked it um, you know it was pretty neat that uh, the team really accepted him being in there and that sort of stuff so and then just moving on you know obviously when we got to Hershey and stuff he he uh, you know was 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 part of the team there and he, he'd be the stick boy sometimes in the dress room and especially when I came back as an assistant coach the so one year he was he was in there almost every home game so um but just uh, after after he left Hershey and he went down to New Jersey uh, to the Titans and played AAA for the first time when he was 16, I think he made a big, big jump that year. And, and then last year he made an even bigger jump. And now that he got drafted, so he's really, really focused. He, he really wants to become a professional hockey player if he can. And he knows it's a lot of work. And there's sometimes, you know, we have to push him uh, to a certain point. But uh, he's usually pretty good on his own. And um, he doesn't listen too often to his old man. But uh he listens to his mom which is a good thing and uh she 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 really knows how to motivate people obviously she's been with me for so long been through everything with me you know through my career so she she has a little uh, little insight to to certain things during uh with hockey players and so she really uh you know he really leans on her a lot too so it's it's nice to have that uh that ability to do that with both parents so you have played you have coached so you are familiar with the pressure of going into a very big game at the pro level, whether it's the quarter cup finals or a Stanley cup playoff game, uh, whether it's 
a player or a coach, are you more nervous for those games or when you watch K to play? I'll tell you what, it's, I'm more nerve-wracking watching him play, it, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously there was a couple big games that I played where you get a little nervous before the game, but once you get out there, you just settle down. But for his games, I'm pacing up in the, up in the stands, and, you know, there's certain times I, I, I catch myself saying things out loud, and, you know, Pam will kind of give me the shh. And anyways, and then I'll end up moving away from everybody just because I get so worked up sometimes. Because obviously, you know, you put your kid on a high pedestal and you want him to do really well. And you think that he should be uh, making something happen every shift and you're really focused on him. And, and so every little mistake he makes is, is magnified. But, you know, it's something that uh, I'm getting better at uh, to try to not be like that. Um, I don't say too much to him, uh, especially right after the games, um, especially if a game didn't go as well as he wanted it to. I just know that it's better just to give that 24 hours. And then I know with him is he knows he knows that he if he's played well or if he's played um, not so well. So he because uh, a lot of kids, you know, um, think that they play well every every shift or every game and, and when that's not true. So at least he knows that part of his, his game. And uh, that's a big part to ha have uh, the ability to do so. Um, but like I said, I, I'm enjoying every second of it. I, I love watching him. I just want him to, to do his best every game. And that's one thing I tell him every time is, uh, you know, I don't say too much. I just say, make sure you go out and have fun and, and work hard. And, and usually if you do that and uh, everything else will fall into place. Well, that's all fantastic. Uh, once again, best of luck to Kate as he uh, approaches his season. I know he has a shorter attention span. It's that generation. So I wanted to get the Kate Homer segment out of the way first uh, and talk Good about job, uh, Good all work. that. Of course, I, I know he's exiting out right now as we speak here. So. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Uh, so on to you and your career. So I how to make sure it's uh, you're one of the few ones. Not many people have the elite prospects page that stretches to two pages, uh, <laughs> but that is you. It's just a, a marathon going down your entire career uh, playing and coaching. Uh, I, I love these blurbs here too, where they describe the type of player uh, an individual is. Uh, for you, it's a, a veteran defenseman who likes pinching in from the point and joining the attack has good size and plays a solid two way game is a team player and captain material, according to Elite Prospects in 2009. So I think- And you know how much that cost me, Trusty, to put that in there? <laughs> how much, did you write that yourself or did you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask who wrote that. It turned out to be you, that's fantastic. <laughs> no, I didn't write it, but whoever did did a heck of a job. <laughs> so was that from, your six games in the 89-90 season with the Belleville Bulls to your final games with the Springfield Falcons in 2012-13. Was that the style of play that you've always wanted to have? Was that kind of the goal in mind? Or did you find yourself maybe early on in your career, uh, you were a bit more conservative and your traditional defenseman before you started to put up the points and really contributing in the offensive zone? To be honest with you, Trusty, it was it was a learning experience. I, you know, obviously I came right from Tier Two Junior to to an American League uh, uh, season. Um, I remember going into uh, New Jersey's training camp that year, 21 years old. Um, you know, I walked in, and, you know, a couple of the first guys I seen was uh, Stefan Riche, Claude Lemieux. Um, you know, two guys that 
growing up, I saw them playing for the Montreal Canadiens, which I was a big uh, Montreal Canadiens fan. So I was like almost in awe of seeing these two guys and, you know, they come up and introduce themselves, which I already knew, but um, they, uh, it, it just, it just shows you how nice hockey players are. And, you know, then I walk around the corner and I see Scott Stevens, Kenny Danico, and, you know, there, it, there was a lot of big names in that dressing room and, you know, I'm, 21 years old coming from a small town in, in Ontario thinking you know what the heck am I doing here but uh it was one of those things that you know I just didn't think I just went out I wanted to become a professional hockey player and I uh, just had fun and the training camp went really really well and Larry Robinson actually was the assistant coach in New Jersey and Larry uh grew up just outside of Winchester where I grew up and uh, his his brother actually worked with my mom so he knew my family um, obviously I knew his family too. And, um, so I think he had, he had a lot of pull there to, to, you know, obviously to get me to Albany and, and give me that chance of trying to make Albany. And, and I remember it was about, uh, three or four days before the regular season started. And, and uh, you know, Robbie Fator called me in his office and, and they offered me a contract and I was actually uh, about to, uh, I had a coach in, um, Guelph University calling me and saying, "Hey, you know, we need your 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 answer. Are you coming? Are you coming to school? Or are you going to stay there?" And um, so I did have something to fall back on if it didn't work out, but uh, it all worked out. I ended up signing an American League deal, um, played my first uh, pro game in in Rochester against Amrics, and and just went from there. And the following year, I signed a three year uh, NHL uh, AHL deal. So. Um, and then, you know, I played on a lot of good teams with a lot of good players and had some uh, great coaches and stayed healthy throughout almost my whole career. And, and uh, you know, obviously it shows playing 20 years. So very lucky and very fortunate to do what I did for so long and, and to have the success I did. It's pretty special. Well, what was that process like uh, when you go from that small town in Ontario? How did you earn that chance uh, to uh, go for Albany, which eventually led to you playing for the River Rats for about five seasons? Yeah, so uh, crazy story, actually. So I growing up, I, I played my hometown all the way up until I was midget age until I was uh, 16. Went down to Cornwall, uh, played AAA for the first time with a bunch of my friends. Um, the crazy thing is our, our season was over. And for some reason, uh, our coach put us in a tournament in Kingston, Ontario, and uh, went into the tournament and I actually was playing really well. And my dad actually was the, the trainer on the bench for, for that game. And uh, guy ran our goalie and I dropped my gloves with him and, and ended up fighting the guy and ended up getting kicked out of the game. And I still remember walking to the dressing room and my dad screaming at me that I, you know, the scout was looking at you and you got kicked out of the game. Like, you know, this was your opportunity. And the funny thing is uh, we got to the door and uh, my dad was opening the door and he was still, I think, yelling at me and, this guy behind him taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, I'm a scout for the Belva Bulls. Can I speak to your player? So long story short, the guy really liked what I did standing up for you know, the goalie and, and he, he liked my intensity and he liked that I dropped the gloves and the, I got the opportunity to go to Belleville and, uh, and try out for the Belleville Bulls. And, um, you know, I went, went up to that training camp and did really well there and ended up going to Wellington and, that was the year that towards the end of that year, I ended up playing six games uh, for the, for the bulls and they ended up protecting me. And the the bad news for me was that summer they ended up firing their coach, Danny Flynn, and, and they brought in Larry Maverty. And for some reason, uh, you know, I just didn't fit into to Larry Maverty's uh, style or, or the way he wanted uh, things to go. And I ended up playing in Wellington for the next three years. And my last year in, in Wellington was uh, I led the league in scoring as a defenseman and, and uh, it was that league was the Metro League at the time, and now I think it's the OJ. 
uh, HL and um, it was so highly uh, scouted by NHL teams back then that that year that I went to New Jersey there was three guys that were drafted out of that league so to the NHL so um, but I still remember when I got the opportunity to to go to New Jersey uh, a gentleman called me uh, Frank Jay was his name he was a scout and he asked me if I wanted to try out for the New Jersey Devils and went into Ottawa and went into a hotel and met him there and ended up signing the uh, the tryout agreement and you know, that was a pretty special day for me too. So, uh, and then just going down and, and doing what I did in training camp and then getting the opportunity to play in Albany. And, you know, I, I look back at those Albany days, uh, trusty and I, you know, I had some good years and, and people always ask, like, why didn't he get called up? And, but there, the guys in, in New Jersey is on the defense just seemed to never get hurt. But, uh, you know, and they had heck like their D in, in New Jersey were, was pretty crazy too. So, um, but the five years I was there, you know, especially my second year, we win the win the Calder Cup, and you know, after that, I was thinking I was going back to the finals every single year, and it took me 14 years until I got to Hershey to get back to the finals. And I played on a lot of good teams throughout those years, and it just it's that hard to get to the finals. So it makes you appreciate it a lot more when you get there. Yeah, so it's the 94-95 season. Uh, the New Jersey Devils win the Stanley Cup. The Albany River Rats win the Calder Cup. Uh, still to this day, it's the last time that both uh, an NHL team and the corresponding AHL affiliate were both champions hoisting uh, the cup in June. Then shortly thereafter, you mentioned you played with a lot of very big names in Albany that went on to have uh, very good NHL careers. One of them uh, that debuted in Albany in the 95-96 season, a man by the name of Patrick Eliash, who's one of five guys to have his number retired by New Jersey, the only forward to actually have that accolade. Uh, And I thought it was remarkable that years down the road, when he retired, uh, this was just a couple of years ago, he had a Players' Tribune article, and he gave uh, Brian Helmer a bit of a shout-out in that. <laughs> that cost me money too, trusty. <laughs> no, um, you know, Patrick, I can, I can still remember his, uh, you know, him coming down to, uh, to Albany, and he had, his attitude was incredible, and, um, you know, it kind of took him under my wing, and, um, but you could just tell that he was going to be something special and, you know, he was a competitor and he wanted to be that guy, that player that scored the game winner. And, um, and he was great off the ice too. He wasn't one of those, you know, not come around just because he didn't know all the English words and stuff. He, he wanted to hang out with us and he wanted to get to, to learn the culture of, of not just, uh, the North American culture, but the, the pro hockey uh, culture too. And, um, you know, he, he was an incredible guy. He had an incredible career, you know, obviously with, uh, he deserves everything he got and especially with his Jersey up in that, uh, in the rafters in New Jersey, well-deserved. And, um, you know, he's one of those guys you look back and it, it was fun playing with him and not just on the ice, but off the ice too. So. And I I wanted to read uh, an excerpt out of the article. So it's entitled Forever a Devil by Patrick Eliage that he wrote uh, a couple years ago when he called it a career. Uh, And here's a a few lines, and I I just got to get your reaction out of this because it is just priceless. So I didn't know Lou Lamorello, and that was a good thing because after the first training camp, Lou told me that he didn't have a spot for me and he wanted me to go play junior hockey for a while. So I just said, no. He said, what? I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to play on the farm team. I think it was the first and last and only negotiation that anyone ever won with Lou. 
he sent me to play an opening with the Reverats, and those two years were my introduction to American culture. I had a teammate named Brian Helmer, and one day he said to me, Patty, you want to go to a concert with me? I said, concert? Never been to a concert. He said, you said, you got to come. It's country music. You'll love it. I I can just picture you in my head doing this entire dialogue. It's perfect. (laughs) Patty says, what's country music? I was thinking we were going to go to a bar and there was going to be an old guy with a guitar on his knee or something. He picks me up. We go to our hockey arena, which I thought was weird. And then we walk in and there's thousands of people there going crazy, singing every word of the songs. It was Garth Brooks. I didn't understand what he was saying, but I loved it. It was the first time that I was like, America, I get it. That's an (laughs) excerpt out of Patrick Eliage's Forever a Devil. So, you know, for you, that was the beginning of your third year pro. And already you're kind of showing that, that leadership, that, that captain material that uh, your elite prospects page alluded to. Well, the, uh, trusty, the biggest thing there was, is uh, we had, we were young. We were all young guys, uh, you know, just having fun. And um, that was, I, I remember, you know, that was a heck of a concert. And we, we tried to do that as much as, as we could, uh, especially on, on days off and like that sort of stuff. So I think that draws, um, you know, a team close together when you're, when you're doing stuff off the ice, uh, especially. And, you know, for him and to, to come to that and, and to write those words in that, in that was uh, pretty special. I mean, it's, it was, like I said, he's, he's a special type of person and um, it was fun at the time, you know, going through that, just great memories of, of uh, those days in Albany. And, you know, I, I think we went to a bunch of concerts that, that, that year and, uh, and, and moving forward to the next year too, it was, uh, they had a great setup. We knew the uh, the head security, so he could slip us in the side doors and get in free. Because at the time, I don't think we all had enough money to get in uh, to pay for the tickets. So, um, but again, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and and that's why we had success in in Albany. Is uh, we not we just didn't have fun on the ice. We had it off the ice as well. So Eliash would score twenty seven goals that season. Uh, his rookie campaign playing for the River Rats. Uh, Brian, you were one of three Ironmen uh, on Albany. So you played all 80 games that season. I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you can guess the other two players on your team that also suited up for all 80 games. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, Pascal Riom? Nope. No? Is he a defenseman? Uh, I think one was a defenseman, one was a forward. Bad Bombardier? Yep, that's one. Okay. And the forward would have been uh, Steve Brule? That's correct, yes. All right. Not former, bad. Are you yeah, not bad. <laughs> For, former Bears Steve Brule, he played yes. two seasons in Hershey in uh, 02-03 and 03-04 near the end of the uh, Colorado uh, affiliation with the Bears. Yeah, I remember Steve, the year we won the Calder Cup, he was a huge part of it. He played with uh, Matt Ruckney on the, on the one side and, and Reed Simpson on the other. So it was, he, uh, he could do whatever he wanted on the ice, and, uh, but he scored some big goals in, that, uh, in the Calder Cup playoffs for us that year. So in those five years uh, with Albany, I would imagine each year uh, training camp rolls around, you're competing uh, with the big club, trying to get a spot uh, in New Jersey. Uh, What was the closest that you believe you came to actually cracking their roster? Would have been my uh, last year. Um, uh, I think I was the last player cut 
And the crazy thing about that whole thing was uh, I didn't play one exhibition game. Um, it was just one of those things that, you know, Lou knew that uh, what I could do. And uh, he, he, you know, he called me and actually it was a funny story is um, I think it was the day before the season started and we were out uh, getting ready for practice and I was skating around and somebody came up and tapped me and said that Lou wanted to talk to me. So Lou brought me off the ice and brought me into a uh, dressing room and, um, you know, kind of just said to me that, uh, you know, he, they wanted to get me in some exhibition games, but unfortunately they wanted to check out some younger guys too that, um, you know, just go down to Albany and keep doing what I'm doing, uh, not just on the ice, but off the ice too, and, and be that leader and, and keep having the season I, that uh, I have been having and just improving and hopefully uh, get you up to get a, a chance at, with the New Jersey Devils. And so, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's disappointing. You think that you're almost there and, and then you end up going back to Albany. But that was one thing, uh, Trusty, that I never did. I never pouted, never said, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to play hockey anymore. I was just happy to be a pro hockey player, to be honest with you, and getting paid to play a game. And so I went down to Albany and had my best year that year. You know, I had 63 points and, and, uh, and then ended up, you know, there was an opportunity that maybe I could have signed back with New Jersey, but I just thought I'd have a better opportunity somewhere else. And that's when I ended up signing with, uh, with Phoenix, uh, with the Coyotes and, um, and that summer and, you know, I ended up, didn't I've never played one game in the NHL and I actually ended up signing a two-year deal uh, first year was a two-way an NHL AHL deal and then the second year went to a one-way NHL deal so it all worked out so so Lou Lamorello is one of the most prolific hockey executives uh perhaps within the last two generations uh of this game 77 years old now with the New York Islanders uh, giving it uh, yet another go, Isles are in their first conference final uh, in 27 years. So really great to see. He is one where you hear so many stories of an old school type of style, but also one who will always take care of players who did really well for him, whether uh, more... More specifically, probably the uh, the three cups he won uh, in New Jersey uh, with the Devils in '95 uh, was the first. Uh, I think 2003. So yeah, '95, 2000, 2003. He'll always take care of players. But how about through the perspective of a guy like you that was always on the bubble, never really made that jump uh, into his club? What was that interaction like uh, with Lou uh, and yourself as a bubble player? Well, I'll just give you an example. So the, the year after I left Hershey in 2010, I couldn't find a job. And, you know, um, my agent called around and stuff. And you know, I told my agent, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to give Lou Lamorello a call and just to see if he needs any veteran or any players in, in Albany. And so I, I ended up calling and, and got his, uh, his admin and she said that, uh, you know, he was out or whatever. And, um, he'll get back to you. And, you know, I kind of got off the phone and I looked at my wife and said, Pam, I don't think Lou's going to call me back, but sure enough, a half hour later, he ended up calling me back and we had a great uh, conversation, great chat. And obviously there was no room that he had in, in Albany, but you know, to have him do that, uh, to, to do something like that, to call me back and, you know, I wasn't expecting it. So, um, but he does, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, you know, you can't say enough about what he's did over his career and, and how he does treat people. And, and if he is, if he's loyal to you, you know, he'll be loyal to you right to the end. And it's, it's nice to see him have some more success with the Islanders and um, moving forward. Hope I'm hoping that they, uh, they get to the Stanley cup finals and, and win that Stanley cup. 
That's great. Uh, there was an article that I came across uh, a few weeks ago in the New York Post. Uh, and when I, I read it, the first person I thought it was you when I sent it over to you, uh, and that was back before uh, I had the idea to bring you on the podcast, really good New York Post column by uh, Mike Vaccaro uh, called The Mastery of Lou Lamorello. And it talks more about him as a GM during his days with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I want to uh, pick out bits and pieces of this just to read. When I post this interview in full uh, on YouTube, uh, I will put in uh, a couple links in the description. One to the Forever Devil article written by Patrick Eliash in the Players Tribune, and this one as well written by Mike Vaccaro, because it really gives an interesting insight into the type of executive that Lou Lamorella was, and perhaps one that was ahead of his time. So uh, what's interesting in here is uh, it talks about 20 years ago, uh, Lou Lamorello had done one of the most difficult things he ever had to do as a GM. The Devils were scuffling badly. They had developed a troubling reputation for being a team that could win an awful lot of games in the regular season. And then in the postseason, things would unravel, similar to the Capitals before their 2018 Stanley Cup when they were finally able to, to get over the hump. Uh, and it was happening again towards the back end of the 99-2000 season. Uh, there was eight games left. Devils were moving into tuck position. They had been dominating both the Atlantic Division and the entire Eastern Conference, but had gone 5-10-2 lately, and everything that they worked for was put into jeopardy. So Lamorello made the stunning decision, and he fired Robbie Fatorik, who was your coach uh, in Albany for uh, your first few seasons. And Fatorik, a longtime loyal member of the organization, and he replaced Vitoric with Larry Robinson, who was once a, a popular assistant with the team, but already a field head coach with the LA Kings. And to many, it seemed like an absolute preposterous move, uh, preposterous move especially at such the time. And Lamorello said, uh, I'm, if I'm going to be damned, then I'm going to be damned for doing which is almost like a credo for all GMs, uh, for all teams. And Lamorello set the record straight that uh, as a testament, sometimes that if you are smart enough, organized enough, daring enough, confident, uh, confident enough that anything is possible, hiring Robinson was a genius stroke. The Devils only won four and four the rest of the way in the 99-2000 season, and they blew the number one seed, but they then went on a two-month tear through the playoffs and won Lamorello's second of three Stanley Cups with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, so nowadays it almost seems like a lot of head coaches in the NHL are on such a short timeline. Uh, Todd Reardon with the Capitals was fired after only two cracks at the Stanley Cup playoffs as a head coach with two first round exits. Gerard Gallant in Vegas wasn't even able to make it through a third season. He was popped for Pete DeBoer to come in and fill his place. Was a guy like Lou just ahead of his time in terms of making these very difficult, perhaps head-scratching decisions? 
Yeah, trust. Yeah, I think uh, Lou just like you said, he was so confident in what what he believed in, and he believed that uh, they needed a change. Um, you know, I think the guys started to uh, sometimes when you're in the dressing room and you hear that same voice over and over and over, you start to tune that voice out, and sometimes you need a, a new voice to come in just to to change it up. And guys really, really respected Larry Robinson as an assistant coach, and he just knew how to get the best out of his players and. And then, you know, why not give him that chance of, of you know, taking over the team and, and being that that nice coach and, and trying to get the best out of his players that way instead of being a, maybe a type of a yeller and, and that sort of thing to try to get your point across to players, which Robbie Fatorik wasn't. Um, but I think just they were uh, – they they kind of heard uh, Robbie's um, voice too much, and I think it was time for a change. And so uh, Lou had – you know, he had the uh, the ability and ha- had that uh, the confidence to make that call, and, um, you know, it, and it turned out really well for him. And, and that's the biggest thing is, is Lou is – like he says in that article, he, he was organized and he wasn't afraid to, to go down with the ship, I guess he would say. And uh, it really worked out for him there. And it was nice to see, you know, you look in that dressing room and the leadership, uh, you know, it, it's Larry, Larry would probably tell you that, uh, you know, it was probably pretty easy to take over that team. And, and uh, because their, their leaders probably ran most of the, most of the dressing room and Larry would just have to make sure that uh, to make sure he's steer, steer, steering the ship in the right direction. And, um, he obviously did that in the playoffs and it worked for him. So it made everyone look like, uh, like win- winners and uh, made Lou look really, really well. You've been on both sides, the coaching side, a player side. As a coach, can you tell when players have toned you out? You, you can, to be honest with you. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, an, it's a really weird feeling uh, to be in a dressing room and, and to have a coach, you know, yelling or screaming or, or even like talking or trying to get this point through. And you can just see that it's going right in one ear and right out the other ear and, and guys. And it's, uh, you know, it's tough. And that's why, uh, especially nowadays, uh, coaches uh, do a great job of going in. And, you know, you talk to most coaches and they said uh, meeting-wise, you know, if you talk more than seven minutes, you're going to lose the team. So keep it, get, get your point across quickly and, and make sure that uh, it sticks with it. And, but I think you need that, those, those veteran type players to reiterate what, what the coach is saying. So when he leaves, you know, those guys are, are in the ears of everybody of say, like saying what, uh, trying to get the point across what the coach is trying to do. So um, if you have a good dressing room like that, you can last a while as a coach. Do you think now because of just how technology and sports has rapidly evolved just in the last 10, 15 years, do you think it's easier now for a coach to be an effective teacher because of the resources he might have now that he did not have before? Or do you think it's all, it all doesn't matter where coaches are always had the ability to just be an effective teacher, regardless of whether it was 1995 or 2015. I think uh, trust you can hold players more accountable uh, nowadays, just with, with that type of technology, just because, you know, if a guy comes off the ice and you ask him, you know, why did you do that? And he says, well, I didn't do that. Obviously you go in and you watch the video and there it is. Right. So, um, you know, or, you know, the, the, player thinks he had a great game and you go to the analytics and it's, it shows different. 
um, you know, the coach can use that to, to motivate the guy or to make sure he's getting his point across uh, on the bench and, or even in the dressing room or during practice. So I think uh, coaches with, with that type of technology and all the analytics and stuff um, can definitely hold players more accountable. Um, that's for sure. So um, I think, you know, I think teachers, I think it's, they, they're more like teachers now. I think back in the day, they're more like sergeants and could, you know, yell and scream and, and guys would never say, why, why are you doing this? Or why, why are you doing it this way? It's just go out and do it. Uh, it was with the way the coaches, it's, it's a coach's way. And, and, and you follow along or you're going to be down the minors or on a different team. And I think it's a lot different that way now. And players want to know why the coaches are doing it and, and uh, why they're doing it uh, their way. Or, um, and I think players nowadays like to, to make sure they're, they're talking through and they want to, feel that they're part of, of the team where, and even part of the coaching staff where they're, they're kind of telling them, you know, what trying to get their point across. And, and then, you know, obviously the coach has the final say, but it, it's nice to get uh, feedback from, from everybody in, in that dress room. It's crazy too, where like players now, they could be on the bus 30 minutes after a game and on their iPhone, they're watching their shifts through a huddle or, whichever program I know a lot of teams use. It's just unbelievable that immediately you can evaluate where without even like a, a large gap in between of just letting it sit or digest, you're immediately able to go back and watch and learn. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the, the playoffs going on right now and, you know, especially like last night's game with, uh, with Tampa Bay and the Islanders, you know, at one point you see uh, a point on the bench looking at an iPad, you know, and, and just uh, seeing what maybe what he could have did in the shift um, that he just had where, you know, if he's in a, a different spot, maybe he gets the puck or maybe he sees a, a different view of through that iPad. So yeah, the technology that these guys have and, you know, I, I don't think I would have ever did that sort of stuff, looked at that, because I, I think sometimes if you look at that stuff, you, you start thinking too much on the ice. And uh, I always said, uh, you know, if you're thinking on the ice, your your game is not where it should be. You know, it, it's one of those, the way I played it was, you know, just go by your instincts and let your hockey uh, sense take over. And usually when I did that, I had good games. But when I thought, when I was thinking out there, man, I was not very good. So, um so, but again, uh, these young guys, their the technology is is right in their hands uh, almost twenty four seven. So, um, it's uh, something that uh, they've learned from small ages, and they, uh, they it's good to have that that the resources that they have to make them better players. Well, that's great. Uh, we got to get to, of course, uh, some of your days uh, in the NHL. Couple tours of duty with the Phoenix Coyotes and the late 90s, early 2000s, also some time with uh, the Vancouver Canucks as well. Uh, you scored your first National Hockey League goal with the St. Louis Blues in the 99-2000 season. Just looking over some of your uh, former teammates in the past, uh, you were relatively spoiled, weren't you, with some of the guys you shared the ice with? Absolutely. You know, you just go to my first year in, in uh, Phoenix and you know, I had uh, Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roenick, you know, just on and on with players like that. Then I head to St. Louis and I got Alan McGinnis and Chris Pronger. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how many, uh, you know, guys, superstars that are in the NHL Hall of Fame that I got to play with. And 
um, you know, it, it's pretty neat to to learn from those guys and just to pick up little things that they do. You know, I, I remember seeing Al, you know, the way he was always breathing on the ice and he, and and then you you know why he plays over 20-some minutes and looks like he only played 10, right? So it just little things like that that you would pick up and, um, you know, the compete level of, uh, of a, a Chris Pronger and you know he was I, I got the chance to be his partner in a few games and um, you know th there's a guy that'll stick up for his teammates uh, no matter what and he would always stick up for his defenseman I know the forwards would yell down it was the defenseman's fault and Chris would stand up and start yelling back at the forwards and telling them to do their job and we won't have to do ours back in, in our end right so um, just things like that but uh, yeah I was very spoiled you know I went to Vancouver and played with you know Todd Bertuzzi and um, Brendan Morrison and uh, Marcus Naslin and you know just goes on and um, so very and then going to Washington and playing with those guys so you're right I, I, I played with a lot of good players in the NHL and I was very spoiled and you know what though trusty I, I didn't take anything for uh, uh, you know it was one of those things that I uh, I enjoyed every second of it I didn't take anything for granted and, and you know unfortunately if I could go back uh, I would have tried to be more consistent in my play it just seemed that you know, I'd, I'd have 10 really good games and then my, 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 uh, there there yep. had somebody call me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I remember if I could go back in my, in my career and, and do something over, it'd be trying to be more consistent in my play, especially in the NHL. You know, it, it seems that, you know, I had 10 games in a row where I play really well and then my, my, play would start falling off and then I'd start gripping my stick more and then I'd start thinking more and then next thing you know I'd be back in the minors you know so um but again everything's a learning lesson and things that I got away with it playing in in the AHL I couldn't get away with in the NHL and, and it kind of bit me in the butt that way so um but the biggest thing is if I could give advice to any young kid or anybody that's you know has that that uh, that drive to make it to NHL is is when you get there. You know it, it's hard to stay there, but you do whatever you can to stay there and work that much harder than everybody else just to try and stay and be consistent. If you're if you're a consistent hockey player, you'll have a long career and, and be successful. And a few of the names too that you played with, uh, some of these guys all have one thing in common, and uh, I think you'll know exactly where I'm going with this when. Uh, Jeremy Roenick, although not anymore, uh, Brent Johnson, Brian Boucher, uh, those three guys that I was able to pick up uh, right off the list, uh, all on uh, are all analysts on uh, NHL on NBC or were at, at one point. Uh, so I guess this means we need to transition Brian Helmer into <laughs> one who does uh, color commentary on air. I'm no longer with the Bears organization, so there's an opening for games uh, in Lehigh Valley and Wilkes if you want to jump on and do uh, color with uh, Zach Fish. Well, Trusty, you know, obviously uh, we're going to miss you in that, uh, that type of uh, environment because you did an incredible job. I thought you were one of the best, buddy. Um, but, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave that stuff to, to you guys. I mean, I know, uh, yeah, you know, the guys that do it at home um, – with uh with mitch and and those and those guys uh, they do a good job too so I'll, I'll stick to sitting up in the uh in the uh in my in my suite and watching games up there but um i know when i was younger when i was in albany actually um that uh, when i was hurt uh john hennessy who was a play-by-play -play guy there would have a few of us on and uh you know it is it's it's fun you can sit and watch and and throw your two cents in here and there but uh um but I, I kind of uh, miss that train, so I'll stick to what I'm doing. 
just know that when you have a headset on during a hockey game, it's a lot more difficult to hear people scream, you suck. <laughs> Compared to sitting in the suite, it's a lot more difficult. <laughs> Maybe I will try it then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so those are some of the great players that uh, you you touched on that you've played with uh, during your career coaching as well. I mean, just when you were with the, the Coyotes in the late 90s, John Tortorella was an assistant coach, and he's one that you want to talk about prolific hockey figures, uh, a longtime head coach now, won a Stanley Cup with the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2004, uh, now with the Columbus Blue Jackets. What was him as? Uh, what was him like as an assistant? And were you able to tell early on that this was a guy that was going to go on and have a very lengthy and successful NHL head coaching career? Yeah, I mean, Torts was uh, he. He was he was actually a lot of fun. He was one of my favorites. I, I mean, he would stay out afterwards and work with you, and um, always, you know, never, never, never would yell at you. Always talking, you know, give you good advice. And if you if you did something wrong, it it was uh, hey, tap you on the on the shoulder and, and just kind of whispered in your ear and never never degrade, never never um, you know said anything in front of anybody. And um, just his demeanor on the bench and, and in practice, you know. Yeah, man, you had to work hard. You had to find, get his respect that way of working hard. But if you did that, he really liked you. And, um, you know, it was, you could tell on the bus and stuff, he, he interacted really well with players. And he, he was one of those passionate guys, um, especially about his team, like his players. Like no one could ever say anything about his players because he would stand up for them no matter what. He, he loves going to war with them. And, um, yeah, I could tell, you know, I only had him for 11 games, but those in those 11 games, I knew he was going to be a really, really good coach. Also played for Joel Quenville in St. Louis. I mean, you talk about probably one of the, one of the greatest coaching records in the history of the National Hockey League in Quenville after a very, very, very long uh, winning his career with uh, Chicago Blackhawks, now with uh, the Florida Panthers. Uh, another one you had. Yeah, I mean, Joel, again, uh, you know, there was a guy that he was probably one of the most honest coaches I've ever played for. You know, he he uh, he, he told you the way it was. And if you didn't like it, uh, you know, suck it up, buttercup sort of thing. But, um, you again, a guy that's very passionate about the game, that knows the game really well, played, you know, played in the NHL and had a very successful career, uh, playing career. So um, knew how to get the best out of his players. Um, you know, again, he was one of those guys that, you know, Know, has a presence in the dress room and not not a screamer yeller just uh, get his point across and and play really hard and if you do that you'll get rewarded and you know it was it was uh, it was an enjoyable time for me uh, uh, playing for him and I remember when I scored my first NHL goal you know he, I think he was one of the first ones to pat me on the back so uh, that was a pretty special moment too. So that same season, you score your first NHL goal. Uh, you played 15 games for the St. Louis Blues in 99-2000. Uh, but then uh, you played 54 games in the A with the Worcester Ice Cats. Now, that season significant for you because it was the first time you actually wore the C. So talk about that when it's your first time being a captain for a pro team. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty special. I remember when, uh, you know, Gibby, uh, Greg Gilbert came to me and, and asked me if I'd be the captain. And I told him it was a no brainer. I'd absolutely be honored to be the captain of the Worcester Ice Cats. And, um, but again, you know, I had, there's a lot of, uh, 
I had some great captains uh, through my career up to that point. You know, Kevin Dean was my captain when we won the Calder Cup in, in Albany, uh, Scott Peller and, um, you know, Jordy Kinnear, uh, who I came into the league with, you know, we kind of uh, learned a lot from each other and the way he w- he was so passionate about uh, playing, very intense guy that was an intense captain too, but also, uh, you know, could get his point across through other ways too. And so there's a lot of guys that I played with that, you know, I, I, I took little parts from and, and, and put it into what I expected out of myself to be a captain. And, um, Again, we had we had a great bunch of players down there, a great bunch of guys, uh, not just on the ice but off the ice. And you know, I, as a captain, you you want to make sure that you're you're doing the right things, you're you're doing the right things on the ice, and you're working hard, and you're doing you're not you're not take, you're not cheating things. You're you're doing the right things. You're um, you know, for example, you're, when you're doing a bag skate, make sure you go right to the lines, not don't uh, stop up short um, because that's you know you're cheating the game. So if if you're doing all the, th- the things right. Um, everyone should follow and and you know I, I learned a lot that first year was it a perfect year absolutely not there's a lot of things uh, you know I look back I could do different and, and better but that's how I learned so the next time I became a captain on another team uh, you know you become a better player and a, a better person and a better captain so what do you think was one of those uh, those early uh tough lessons that were very valuable that you learned uh, as a captain where it was a matter of going forward i need to do this different yeah there 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 was a time when you know you, you kind of you, you i went against a coach and um you know I, I probably shouldn't have did it um you know it was one of those things you're in the moment and and you know it was uh it was one of those things that looking back uh you, you live and learn and I, I learned from that where uh you know try to try to uh, maybe walk out of the dress room and, and take a couple deep breaths and then come back in and refocus of what you want your point that you want to get across but my point at the time was was the wrong point and uh, you know obviously I learned uh, especially when I got called in the coach's office and got reamed out so um, but that's one thing that that's that's how you learn right and that's how you become a better leader and a, and a better pro uh, the 0304 season as we continue to move down the timeline uh back with the coyotes for a bit uh was that the uh only time in your pro career where you experienced a, a coaching change uh as a player mid-season a coach gets fired no actually uh my, my first year in grand rapids uh dan cole was the coach um and it was right around uh i think it was towards the end of november um they let him go and greg ireland who was the assistant coach took over so that was uh that was another one of those but um again it's it's uh you you know it's tough at the start you got to get to know your coach and and hit and his style and um but it doesn't take long to adapt uh, to either one i mean it's it it is what it is you're you're a professional hockey player and, and you sometimes have to learn on the fly and that's what you do in, the, in those situations Right. So for the Coyotes in 03-04, it was Bob Francis starting the season uh, at the helm. Uh, he had a, a 20-24-15-3 record, was replaced by Rick Bonus, who is uh, currently the interim bench boss with the Dallas Stars, uh, currently battling in the uh, Western Conference Final. And Rick Bonus, not the, uh, the ideal finish to the season, a uh, 2-12 three and three record uh were were you up there when uh when bonus took over 
I was. I, I think I just I just got called up. Uh, it was right after the trade deadline. They actually um, Phoenix got rid of all their their older guys and and got rid of a lot of good players and brought in um, you know got a lot of draft picks and that 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 sort of thing. So they knew they were going to make the playoffs. So um, they tried to make the the moves to better the the future of the of the of the organization. So I was uh, fortunate to get called up then and. You know, I remember uh, Rick coming in the dressing room. Uh, I think it was his first day as a head coach. And, um, you know, he was the assistant at the time and, and moving up to being the head coach. So it's a little – it's a feel out for not just the players but the coaches too. And I remember Rick saying, uh, I think we were going on the road that day. And uh, he said, uh, once we get on the plane, you know, relax, enjoy. Once we get off the plane, I want you to go to the hotel, put your bag in your rooms, and then everyone's going to meet down at the at – the, uh, at the bar downstairs and uh, everyone's going to have a drink. doesn't matter if it's water, if it's beer, um, but everyone's going to get to uh, at least have one or two drinks and get to know each other and just have some fun. And this is going to be a a fun time. And, you know, Rick bonus is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in hockey. And, you know, and he, you could just tell that um, he knew the right way to to push the buttons for players and, and to get them to be their best. And yeah, maybe we didn't win very many games, uh, but I mean, we had, we had a lot of fun trusty. So, um, and I think it was that year was, uh, I ended up playing 10 games on forward, uh, towards the end of that season. So, um, so if anyone tells you that playing forward is hard, they're a liar because I can do it in the NHL. So <laughs> if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. And, uh, Rick bonus is another guy that, uh, is, capturing uh the first stanley cup as a coach and he's been at it for a very very long time he's come as close as just one win away he was uh the associate coach uh for the vancouver canucks when they lost in 2011 uh to the boston bruins in game seven so once again he's uh getting really close to finally capturing that uh, elusive stanley cup so he's another guy that uh you know i'm sure a lot of people in the game are are really rooting for uh now that the Capitals are out of it, you're able to kind of put that bias aside since you're a, a Hershey executive. Is, is there a team that you're pulling for out of the four remaining? Well, I, obviously, like you said, I, you know, I'm kind of pulling a bit for, for Rick Bonus too. And, you know, Todd Nelson's there who coached me in, in Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, so there's two, two guys that, you know, I, I'm kind of pulling for Dallas. But also on the flip side, you know, I'd love to see Barry Trotz win another one. I think Barry's, you know, the time that he was in Washington, I got so much respect for that guy and what he's did in uh, in in his career is pretty amazing. So, um, and you know, and also with my brother-in-law being the assistant coach in Bridgeport, uh, Matt Carter, you know, it kind of be nice to see his organization uh, win the Stanley Cup. So those two teams are kind of, um, you know, side by side in, in who I'd like to win. But uh, you know what, Trusty, the, the hockey's been great. It's been fun to watch. And um, so I hope both series, uh, these next two series go seven games. And I hope the Stanley Cup finals go seven games because um, I enjoy sitting on the couch and just watching the games. And uh, I don't think it, it's uh, my wife's happy all the time when the night she comes around the corner, I'm still watching hockey. And she's like, are you kidding me? Right now but um you know she i feel bad for her sometimes because she's been through it all with me and she's seen so many hockey games that um you know i gotta i, I get i have to give her a break once in a while and to uh to say yeah you have the right to say something like that hon because uh you've seen enough hockey games in your lifetime yeah i know i absolutely uh 
when it comes to just looking at other uh, other interesting dates throughout your career, uh, claimed off waivers by the Canucks uh, in December of 98. When you're a player and you're placed on waivers, what is that entire experience like for those who are watching? Yeah, so it, for, for me, I was, in, I was in Phoenix and, uh, you know, I just got done practice. We actually, it was uh, December 19th, I think I can remember the date, um, because we just got our Christmas presents from, from, from uh, Phoenix and they're really nice white robes, you know, had your number, had your name on it, you know, so we're prancing around, everyone, all, all the guys had them on, you know, and then I get a tap from Keith Kachuk saying, hey, uh, coach wants to see you. So I went in and, and uh, Jim Schoenfeld was the head coach and, you know, Shoney said to me, you know, Helms, I got some good news and bad news. And, you know, the good news is for you is uh, you got picked up by St. Louis off of waivers. And the bad news for us is, uh, you know, you're leaving us. But so it was really I'd, at the time I didn't know I was even on waivers. And then, to you know, it was mixed emotions of, OK, you know, I liked it here in Phoenix. But now I'm moving on to St. Louis where a team picked me up off waivers. So they really wanted me. So um, so that situation. But. In other situations, when when you know you're on waivers, you know you're you're kind of hoping that, hey, I hope I get picked up because if you do get picked up, you're going to be in in the NHL uh, for at least another month. So, um, but a lot of uh, my career, uh, Trusty was a was a heck of a, a roller coaster ride, uh, you know, up and down, so many highs and lows that, um, you know, I can't explain it. But uh, again, I always looked at everything as a positive and and uh, life learning and. I don't think I'd trade anything for the world for my career. Did you get to keep your robe at least? I did. I okay. Actually, do, I, do you still I have did. it? <laughs> I still have it and it still looks great. <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah, it's, it's you got to bring that to the rink one day. And uh, I will. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's an, it's one of those ones. I think you get, it's going to last forever. It still looks really white. And I mean, I had it in a Rubbermaid container for years, but uh, a couple years ago I pulled it out and, yeah, uh, I wear it once in a while. So <laughs> the kids and Pam make fun of me, but I love it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think is the best uh, hockey Christmas gift you ever got? Is the rope on top or is there something it, else that, that tops it? The the rope is right there, but you know what? It's it's funny. Like when I was in New Jersey, we got some really nice pre- Christmas presents. I remember got, I got a coach bag, a uh, leather coach bag. It was a, a duffel bag. Beautiful. Um, I remember in, uh, I think it was 95, 96, we ended up getting digital cameras and that was really big back then, you know? So um, there, there's a couple there, but uh, yeah, if, um, you know, I was fortunate to, uh, to get a lot of good presents, but I, I'd have to put the robe right up there as number one. Cause it's, it's still, it still looks like it's brand new and it, uh, and it really feels good when it's on. That's that's great. Uh, we have to. Uh, I I will get absolutely barked at on social media if I neglect to touch on the Hershey days, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Uh, the the back to back Calder Cup championships uh, that you were captain for. Uh, the o nine ten season in Hershey is one that will go down uh, in infamy for uh, perhaps ever uh, in the uh, entire history of the franchise. Winning 60 games in the regular season, you win 16 more games in the playoffs. Uh, but half of the postseason victories came in overtime. When 8-1 and one in overtime in the 2010 Calder Cup playoffs, uh, so many great players that you played with uh, that were all part of the ride. 
it's been 10 years. When you reflect now, I know you had the uh, the 10-year anniversary uh, Zoom call where you all watched uh, Game 6 together uh, a few months ago. Uh, what's just kind of like the, the general feeling and, and the takeaway when you reflect back now on just how special of a run that was in Hershey? Yeah, I mean, trusty. <sighs> I always say I think it's the, it was the best team in, in AHL history, to be honest with you. I know there's a lot of people that will disagree with me, but when you can win that many games and, and then, you know, you get into the finals and you lose the first two games at home and, and come back and win the next four uh, is pretty special. And, you know, being on that Zoom call, it, it just shows you how close we all are or were and still are you know there's I could call up any guy on that team and it'd be just like we we haven't left each other you know you can just pick the conversation right back up and it was a pretty special team and you know with with Mark French and and Troy Mann as you know head coach assistant coach and right through to Beaker and Justin Coleman you know just everyone just got along so so well and not just on the ice but off the ice and and that's a special team and I don't think I ever played on a, a you know, a team that was, uh, you know, more special than that one. It just seemed that, you know, we believed in each other. We, we didn't, didn't no matter if we were going in the third period, losing by two goals, we, there was no panic in our game. We knew we were going to win and we go out and win. And, um, you know, to do what we did that year is very, very special. And it was a lot of fun. And it just, again, I, I, I'm a goosebump type of guy. And it just thinking about it just gives me goosebumps. It's, uh, it's that special. And I will never forget too. It was because I, of course, I'm 15 years old at the time, and I'm hanging on to every single game, every period, every shift. Like it's, uh, it's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest moment of uh, of being a, a sports fan and, and following Hershey. I'll never forget. It was uh, you played Albany, so you played against the River Rats in the second round. And you took a five-minute major spearing penalty and got tossed out of uh, one of the games. It was either game three or four uh, on the road in Albany for that. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I, I, I'll still go back. Like, that was when I actually got soccer in the whole situation. And, and I just was pushing the guy away. And they said I speared him. But anyways, um, it was one of those, you know, caught up in the moment. Uh, it happened like Hopi was skating by their goalie. They pushed each other. You know, one of their tough guys come over. I, I stepped in in between. He, he he punched me, and, you know, I was just protecting myself. And, you know, yeah, did I pitch fork? Or maybe I did a little bit. But, again, that's something that you live and learn. And, you know, it was a tough one. I, I, I never, you know, sitting in the dressing room watching, watching my guys kill that five-minute penalty off, I was so nervous. I was pacing. I was almost sick to my stomach. I was, you know, because I let my – I felt like I let the team down. And, you know, I think it was uh, Beagle that scored the, the game winner uh, in overtime and, and just to have the guys come back in and just to put that, you know, just to congratulate them and, and tell them, hey, guys, thanks for – for bailing me out there and I really appreciate it and, and something like that won't happen again. So it was, you know, obviously a le lesson learned and it was a tough lesson at the time, but you know, I was one of those type of guys that would get so focused and get so into the game. And uh, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd cross that line and I think I crossed it on that one, but. Um, who, who gave it to you in the dressing room? Someone, some player coach, someone had to have given it to you. Yeah. Yeah, Keith Coin gave it to me actually, <laughs> and it was awesome. You know, it was what I was deserving. You know, I, I I truly did let the team down, and I, you know, that's something that you know I'm wearing the C, and to do something like that to put your team down, you know, 
in an important game and and you know he, he gave it to me pretty good but it was well deserved so and that again that just shows you our team and how close we are and that a guy like that could do it and no one would say anything about it you know and um because everybody knew we were we all wanted to win we all wanted to 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 win every game we wanted to win the calder cup we had that goal and, and we wanted to succeed um so that's how close we were Keith O'Coin was one of those players that no matter what organization he went to, I was always rooting for him to, to get a shot and, and to stick with uh, an NHL organization. Uh, I don't know. It, it might have been his size, maybe. What, what do you think it was about O'Coin where he was always just a really dynamic player in the American League that could just never stick up top? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, opportunity, to be honest with you. You know, he, he played in every situation in, in the minors, and, you know, he's, he would be the first power play. Uh, he'd be on the first power play. He'd play over a minute on that power play. And so, and then to go back up, and you know, he never really, in my opinion, got that chance of being on a top line. And, and you know, he you could, you'd look at the chances he got. He was third, fourth line centerman. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe killing penalties, getting that last 20 seconds on the power play, you know, and it, it was, you know, for him, I'm sure it was tough to, to, to perform uh, at the highest of his ability. And, you know, I'm sure if you talked to him, he'd probably say the same thing. But, um, and, and again, you know, there, it, it, there's certain situations that guys go, go through and I'll give you an example myself, you know, it's maybe consistency, you know, consistency where, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you know you're that bubble guy, you know this is your chance and you put it all on the line and then all of a sudden it, stuff starts going you know, south on you and not the way you want it to go and you start gripping the stick and, and then it just gets worse and, and then it's, you know, next thing you know you find yourself in the minors. So, um, but again, you know, what Keith did with us and what he did throughout his career is pretty special. Those two cups you won back-to-back -back in 2009 and 2010, uh, for you personally, is one more special than the other? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. People have asked me this before. Like, um, you know, obviously the, the first one that uh, the uh, the 0809 uh, one was pretty special because it, it took so long to get back there. And, and I actually was, um, you know, in Albany when we won, uh, I wasn't in my equipment. You know, and I didn't play the final game in that game. So to be to have that chance of lifting up the cup, being that first guy to to do that uh, was pretty special. But also the second one was pretty special too, of you know going down two nothing in the finals and then coming back and winning at home uh, was was really nice too. So it's it's, it's a tough one for me to be honest with you, Trusty. Yeah, it, they're both pretty good. I think uh, whenever I would be in your office and there's so many great pictures, you just kind of like space out and look at uh, all the great moments uh, in your career uh, showcased up on the wall. I think one of those that sticks out for me, and I'm sure uh, it's the same for you, 2009 when the cup is won up in uh, Manitoba over the Moose, uh, you had your family with you, Pam, Rylan, uh, and Cade, and just uh, the pictures uh, with the family on the ice after, uh, you know, knowing that it had been 14 years uh, in between, uh, I can't imagine how special that, uh, that evening must have been for you. Yeah, it was, you know, just as I remember skating down and, and grabbing them and, and the smile on their faces and, um, you know, it is really, really special. And, you know, especially to, to see Pam and, 
um, to, and to hand me Rylan and getting that chance of skating around with those two was, was pretty special. And, um, you know, she has been through it all with me and to see me has success. And it's almost like she had success in getting me there, you know? And, uh, so, um, that again, uh, goosebumps, buddy, goosebumps. It's, uh, it's, it's a good, it was a good feeling. And it was, I was very proud at the moment and, and to have the kids be there too, is it was pretty special. I, it's a goal of mine uh, in the future. I would love to get Doug Yingst on for an episode. I feel like that will quickly become the, uh, the most downloaded episode so far. Someone has to top Bob Goodman. So far, his episode is number one. Uh, and I'm not surprised. He was, uh, he was tremendous on this show. I have to grill Doug on. I remember it was after the, uh, the 2010 Cup. Uh, it was the... Quarter Cup rally, you were on stage giving a speech, and you flat out looked over at Doug and said, Hey, Doug, I would love to come back for another season. And he did not re sign you. So I think we deserve 10 years later the answer as to why Brian Helmer was not re signed for another yeah, season. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked the year before when I did it uh, in my speech there, and he brought me back. But again, I know uh, he called me in August of that year. And- and just said that the the caps one go younger in a different way. So uh, again, I, it's business, right? And it's uh, would I have loved to come back? Absolutely, I, I wanted to finish my my career in in Hershey. But you know, and and the biggest thing too, I was seven seven points away from coming the all time leading defenseman in scoring. So I wanted, to, I wish I could have did it in Hershey. But it is what it is. And uh, you know, obviously. I, I enjoyed the two years and then to get the chance to come back as an assistant coach and do what I'm doing now is pretty special. I love it. After Hershey, two years uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, then 12-13, you finished out 24 games uh, with the Springfield Falcons. Uh, I guess for a player, how do you know when it's time to call it a career? Yeah, so the 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 year I went to Springfield there, there it was the, uh, right after the lockout. It was in January. You know, I stayed in shape. I wanted to play in my 20th year and went in and the first few games I was you know it was it was tough um you know I just felt like I was a step behind and um you know as, as it went on I got a little bit better and, the, and then I ended up getting a, a slight concussion and kind of set me back and um then I got back in the lineup and it, it just I knew it was time right after that I knew I was very fortunate like I said before uh you know going through a career where uh, I stayed fairly healthy and then to kind of get that small concussion of that year is kind of you know saying okay maybe it's time to to step back and and try to do something else but um you know it, it was tough I had a good, great conversation with Pam and you know she said that I remember she she said you know you still have uh you still have years and years and years left and and if something happened towards uh you know if you played another year and and you know especially with having that uh, small concussion um, kind of opened my eyes and said, "Okay, enough's enough. I've I've been fortunate to win three three Calder Cups and and have the the career I did. That it was time to step away." Yeah, would you say it was the hardest decision you had to make for sure? Or uh, uh, yeah. it, you know, it, it it was and it wasn't. Um, you know, obviously you uh, you know with the, the last couple of years uh, when I was in Oklahoma City, you know things started you know, what am I going to do after hockey? And, you know, you start thinking sort of on those lines and, and then, you know, you, you finally get to, to the last year and, and you, you know, you can't keep up anymore. Um, and, it, and it's tough. You, you think you can, but, um, 
you know, it's just it, it to think that, uh, you know, yeah, would I have loved to play forever? Absolutely. But, you know, it's time to, you know, step back. And, and what, I, you know, I think my last 10 years of my career, everyone said, uh, you know, why don't you retire Helms? It's, it's, uh, and let the young guys play. That's what, that's what the, uh, the opposing players used to tell me all the time. So, um, so when it was in Springfield and it was time to step back, uh, you know, and it was time to step back and let the young guys play. So it was tough, but, uh, in the end, I, I realized it was time and it kind of made it a little easier that way too. 19 years. If you had to think of one teammate that you had, or maybe even a, guy that you've played against in your career the best chirper you've ever seen that just immediately will get under someone's skin just has that knack probably steve Pinizzato. as he was he was great at it i mean his chirps weren't always the greatest but uh he, he always found a way to to get under guys skin you know and it was uh he had some pretty good ones to make you laugh on the bench but that was one of the biggest things you know uh trust he was just listening to guys on the bench and listening to some of the trips even as when i was an assistant coach you know just you know you, you get somebody to chirp and you'd almost step back and start laughing at it, it was it, it was so good you know so um but again it was uh i'd probably say pinner was one of the one of the best at it well, this has been uh, an absolute blast. Uh, I want to thank you again uh, for your time. I do have uh, a few people wrote in questions that I wanted to get to. So I okay. think we'll, we'll end with that because we all know you're a man of the people. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's great, to, uh, great to have this. So first, okay. uh, I want to thank uh, Amy Ryan, a friend of uh, both of ours, <laughs> former front yeah. office employee. Uh, she wants to know the tea of choice. So first, to, <laughs> we, we, we have to put it out there first. So for those that don't know, uh, on the fourth floor, uh, we would often have tea time led by Brian Helmer. Well, he, he will go around with his <laughs> basket of tea bags and go from door to door and it's like, yeah, pick your tea. We would have hot tea. So... <laughs> Oh, that was, uh, you know, great memories. I, I, I still love doing that. You know, I just find that, uh, you know, it's somewhere we all, we'd all gather in one office and just sit there and just talk and just enjoy, you know, maybe if it was 20 minutes to an hour, it was just so much fun. And my, uh, my choice would always, uh, you know, I, 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 there's a few I'd like, but uh, um, I, I don't mind the, uh, the green tea, but has like a blueberry flavor into it or, or uh, orange um, tangerine, uh, anything with uh, a little bit of caffeine and, and anything with uh, to energize me during that time. Because it was usually one, at that time when it was like 2.30, 3 o'clock, right, Trusty? So we'd have to give a little boost for everybody and to get through the rest of the day. So, um, But those, those are times that I'll never forget, and it's, uh, those are the times that uh, I enjoy doing. Harry Moore, a good friend of ours as well, uh, known for the uh, the infamous bullshit chant uh, <laughs> in Hershey. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on Section 25 at Hershey Park Arena uh, during your rookie season. <laughs> oh, Terry and I have talked about this, and uh, I remember I was 21 years old coming into Hershey Park, you know, just thinking this is so cool. You know, you got the Ferris wheel, you got the roller coasters. Um, you know, you get in the dress room and I think Beaker set it up for the visiting teams where he had big things of hot chocolate and Hershey bars. And so 
And then I remember going out for warm up and, and skating by that section and they're pounding on the glass. They're telling us that they're going to kill us and they're going to beat us up. And I was like, what the heck happened to this small, nice town? These people are just yelling and screaming at us. And, um, but it was, you know, you have that, that it was kind of a dark, darker feel. And it was, uh, as a 21 year old, I was thinking to myself, like, where am I right now? And what have I got myself into? And am, am I going to get beat up tonight? So the, the nerves were, were building, but again, uh, I had, uh, I was surprised myself. I had a lot of good games in, in Hershey, uh, in Hershey arena and I enjoyed playing there. It's, uh, I was on the phone with Terry a, a couple weeks ago and, uh, he, he was telling me about how one day it was Frank Mathers that came up to him and said, listen, the other general managers around the American Hockey League are calling me and they're bitching about your section. You have to just tone it down a little bit for me. Like people can't take it. I, I guess they were, I wish I could experience the, what it was like there. I guess they were that over the top and, and yeah, there was, in a minor league hockey market. Yeah, trust me. There was nothing like it. That 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 corner was absolutely crazy. They and they they were big guys, so they were like almost knocking the glass over just to get at you, you know. And I'm sure if they could have, they would have. But uh, they were. That's why I love Hershey. Passionate about their their players and their team, and um, that was one of the reasons why I was so glad to come back as an assistant coach. And one of the reasons why I did come back was um, because I knew that, uh, I love the fans here and I, I love the, the passion and what they expect out of your team. And if you go out and you play hard every game, uh, you know, they'll be behind you, but if you go out and take one or two shifts off, they'll let you know. So that's, uh, that's Hershey, Hershey fans. And uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing better, uh, I would say in hockey in general. And last question I have for you uh, that was submitted. Uh, thank you to uh, Judith Borland for her question on Twitter. Uh, she wants to know, uh, what is your take of fans being in GC this year and how you feel uh, the season might be played in general? So, of course, there is a lot that needs to be decided on, uh, a lot that needs to uh, be uncovered. So, what are your, I guess, early uh, impressions right now as of where we are and where you hopefully see this thing going? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, you know, we're, we've got that December 4th date, you know, and, and you know, it, it, is it going to come to fruition? I, I don't know. I, I can't predict it. I think the, the virus is going to predict a lot of it for us. It's just unknown. It's, um, you know, it's, it's frustrating for everybody. And um, for me, you know, my advice is just stay patient and, you know, keep your fingers crossed that they, they're something, they find something. And, uh, you know, if it's a vaccine or if, if something happens and this thing just seems to go away, you know, and we, we get to start on December 4th and that's, that's what our team is doing. We're, we're, we're trying to get focused for that. We're making sure we're doing all the right things and trying to get focused for that date. But if it doesn't happen, we'll adjust. And, you know, it's 2020 and I think everyone has to adjust to everything that's happening and, and we'll do the same thing. If, if the league pushes it till January or, or farther on, we'll, we'll adapt. And, you know, um, in my opinion, I, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. So I, I'm, you know, I, I'm hoping that we at least get something in um, for the 2021 season. Um, you know, I, I'm sure uh, everyone thinks that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of, they, they've got a, a task force for the American Hockey League, which have NHL and, and AHL and, and uh, GMs uh, that, and a lot of smart people on that task force. So, you know, we're, we're going to do whatever we can. We're going to follow probably whatever the NHL does. And, and hopefully, like I said, hopefully everything will work out and we'll get a season.
and then but again it's just the unknown and and uh through this time and i i think if everyone just stays patient and hopefully everyone does that something will work out for us fingers crossed and hopefully Absolutely. we can be at the rink sooner than later for me maybe i'll just sit up in your suite now and, and uh, eat chicken fingers since i have nothing better to do now so uh you're always welcome <laughs> oh that's great once again brian helmer thank you so much for joining us this has been a blast as always thank you for tuning in to the that's hockey podcast presented by trust pr Join us for our next show where you can hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders, and say, That's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey Podcast, presented by Trust PR. Thank you for listening, and please have a great day.